Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, welcome in to the Sweaters Forever podcast featuring myself, Shippy from the Bin and Skin Show, and the Hockey Hawk himself. What's up? Gavin Spittle. Gavin, how are you doing today, man? man? I'm so excited about this. Me too. I've been wanting to do something like this for years, and thank you for feeding my appetite. Man, no problem. Thank you for for joining in on it. You know, hockey is something that, unfortunately, in the Dallas area and you know, the southern region, really, of the entire United States, maybe. I mean, outside of Nashville, they got mad hockey fans yeah. over there. Yeah. But I feel like it's undercovered, underappreciated as yeah. a sport. And I think a lot of it is due to just people not understanding the sport entirely. Because uh, I know a few different people that I've just explained hockey to. And right. once they understand the rules and they understand why play is stopping, they're like, wow, this sport is actually really awesome. But. <laughs> There's a big Dallas Stars fan base here. Huge. Yeah, and they're it's all really super, cool. you know, passionate about yeah, it. Yeah, they're passionate about it. They're loyal, especially the club hasn't been best the last 10 years. So, you know, for we wanted to give something to the Stars fans. And I always get emails like, you need to talk more Stars. You need to talk more Stars. Well, right. this is the opportunity. We're excited. And one of the big things that we'll do toward the end of today's podcast is we'll answer the questions that were asked of us yep. uh, on uh, Twitter. So uh, excited to do this! I think first we got to do before the rest of the team comes out, skate around the ice a couple times. Yeah, you know, since we're rookies, this is our debut. So I no, I'm I'm real excited. I wish it was under better circumstances, oh, Mister Shipman. Me too, especially with a team with an off season that was filled with such high hopes after taking the eventual Stanley Cup champions to Game Seven, and yeah. you're a, you're a Jamie Ben wraparound goal from advancing to the Western Conference Final, right? I mean, there was so much optimism for the Dallas Stars going into the offseason. And then you go and you sign Joe Pavelski, yeah. the number one name on the market in Absolutely. terms of free agents. Yeah. And then, whether you love him or hate him, he's a quality winning piece. Yeah. You had Corey Perry, who obviously right. has not played yet this season. It's looking yeah. like his return will be very soon. Maybe as soon as, I believe, was it Friday in Pittsburgh yeah. that they're targeting? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hype and build up for this team headed to this season, and then they come out and they start one five and one. Yeah, losing to the Buffalo Sabers was the latest loss, a four zero, just absolute thrashing. Right. Let's right. just start. Let's just start with the slow start here from uh, your hockey hawk eyes. Yeah. What are you seeing from this team? And if you could pin one thing being the number one reason of why they've struggled so mightily out of the break, what would that be? So it's really interesting because in preseason, you know, I went to the preseason games mm-hmm. and I was actually called negative because I'm like, something's not right here. Right. They just don't. And you looked at the preseason and it's like, 
they're not scoring. And I mentioned that a couple of times, Mm -hmm. but I kind of wanted to lay back because, you know, if you're critical, like I want to be critical of the team, but I also want people to understand I'm a proud season ticket holder. Mm -hmm. I have been for a long time. I want this team to win. You want this team to win. Absolutely, We want to embrace this club, but I also think that stars fans, you know, want to cheer no matter what. And I honestly think as a fan base, you deserve better. I really do. So you started to see it in the preseason and, you know, part of me held back. Another reason is, is that I said, well, they're not on the same lines. You know, they're playing some of the uh, Texas stars in there. So it's kind of a mishmash. So you really can't judge. In fact, we delayed this podcast for the start of the season because how tough is it to judge in preseason? Yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. So then we get into the regular season and at the first game, it's like, oh boy. No, I mean, you could see it almost immediate. Well, and that was a tough first game, too. Yeah. You know, now we're seven games in, right? Yeah. They're 1-5-1. One, and one. We're seven games in, and, and you see that first game, you're going, well, come on, they lost Roman Polak. They're down right. two forwards because Blake Como got hurt. Jason Dickinson got hurt. Yeah. So you're kind of like, okay, they fought, though, and they, they could have won that game, but they're shorthanded. Right. And that's a real tough team. I mean, that's a team who was in the Stanley Cup final last season. Yeah. So, there was, you know, you could look at that and you go, okay, well, obviously you want to win that. You're on your home ice, the home opener, all that sort of stuff. But after seeing the injuries, certainly understandable why, you know, you could drop that game. That's one game. But then the problems continued. Yeah. And they persisted. And then, you know, like you brought up, the scoring in the preseason was an issue. And just in any sport, it's really hard for me to watch preseason and really. You can see certain players and individual individual uh, performances yeah, that yeah. maybe you're you're inspired by or cause you to have more hope about that player than maybe you had entering you know, or going into the off season. But I, the, the, the secondary scoring has been an issue. Yeah. The primary scoring has been an issue scoring outside of Rope Hints. Yeah, uh, Rope Hints and Matthias Yanmark have been the only two real bright spot uh, bright spots for me in terms of yeah forward play and. And, you know, obviously, Rope's got, I believe, four goals already. And- yeah, Rope has continued for what he did in the playoffs and late in the regular season. Um, uh, I think Haskinen overall has played well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are some parts, but the majority of the team, you're like, what's going on? I will want to point out, you know, I think Jamie Alexiak's played real well. Yes. Um, I think, you know, you're talking about as far as six defensemen on the ice, he's the fifth or sixth, but... I definitely think he's earned himself regular games throughout this season. I'd be surprised if I saw Jamie Alexiak healthy scratched on a regular basis. Yeah, I'm really happy to see his development, and I think we got to look back and and you know the Stars made a, a trade for him, and it took him some time, but. A lot of people don't remember Zdeno Chara was with the New York Islanders yeah, and then given up on by the New York Islanders and then went to the Ottawa Senators and was good there, right. but became great when he became a Boston Bruin mm-hmm. with bigger guys. Tyler Myers is another example. Yes. First couple of years in Winnipeg, it's like, yeah, he's a big guy, but you saw the last few years in Winnipeg. Now he started to rush with the puck 
And he's already had a good start in Vancouver. Right. And even, so, even think about Dustin Bufflin. Dustin Bufflin is another That was a guy example. who was, you know, yeah, uh, Brent Burns. Yeah, you're, you're throwing them into the forwards. You're like, I don't really know where to play this guy. And now those are two of the top defensemen that you would want to yeah. start an NHL team. Yeah, so it takes time for some of these guys to develop. Unfortunately, there is a sense of urgency around here, and mm-hmm. rightfully so, because you're in the prime years of Ben Sagan, probably a little past the prime in Radulov mm-hmm. and past the prime in Pavelski, even though he had a great year. I'm not going to second-guess Jim Nill on Joe Pavelski. Yeah. You know, I saw a Joe Pavelski that looked about 25 years old last year. Mm-hmm. Now, the question was, is it the system in the San Jose Sharks that made him so successful? Is he still getting his legs as far as being a Dallas star? The familiarity around being around the team, the spacing... But it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And I want to bring up something that you kind of touched on there for a second. Um, you know, you talked about the prime of Jamie Ben. I'm worried, man. I'm worried about the, yeah. you know, and it, it, I, I watch him out on the ice and he's, you can just tell he's just not the same guy that he was no. two years ago. And he's a far distant player from the player that he was five years ago. He, he's the captain and we love him for that, for mm-hmm. the years that he gave us. But the trend is saying we are looking at the decline of Jamie Ben. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. I hope you hope. We I don't all like hope. saying it. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't like saying it either. But that's a bad contract if this trend continues. And you know, last year so much was made of the comments that Jim Lights made, and you know, effing horse ass yeah. in terms of their play, but. One thing that I took away from that, and you know, that that caught all the headlines. But one of the things that was mentioned in all of that was that his Art Ross Trophy season may have been the worst thing to happen to the Dallas Stars, right? Because it just jacked that price up. Because yeah. now you've got an Art Ross under your belt. And I was at that game when he won the Art Ross Trophy. I got to be there, and I was going nuts when yeah. he scored. I think it was an empty net goal at the amazing. very end, just to win it at the last yeah. second, and. That was one of that's something that I'll never forget watching. And in that moment, I never even never even crossed my mind that that could be a bad thing. But it did contribute to, you know, maybe added some money to his deal and some maybe a year or two and things like that. And it's it's really hard to watch, especially when he wears the C on his chest. Yeah, because I have no doubt in my mind that that whole locker room loves and adores Jamie Ben, the leader, the you know the hockey player, and all those things. But you know, from a media member's perspective, and I'm sure from the fans' perspective too, it's frustrating to see your captain just not perform up to standards. Yeah, like that. I, I agree. Right now, he's a what would be considered a good second or third line player. I mean, you have to put it in perspective. I think it's all about who he surrounded himself Absolutely. with too. Because actually, this brings me to another thing I was going to ask a second ago when you brought up Joe Pavelski yeah. and the transition. I think that these two players are very similar in terms of. Was Pavelski more successful in San Jose? Maybe not because of a system or the coaching tendencies or, or familiarity, which familiarity certainly has to play a Absolutely. part in, in, you know, after you play, you spend your whole career with one team and then you switch. There's going to be a bit of an adjustment there. But do you think maybe something that contributes to that is the overall team speed that was surrounding Pavelski? And there's too many players that are like Pavelski and Jamie Ben on this roster in terms of they just can't. Get down the ice like Rope Hens and Matias Yanmark do. Yeah, I think when you looked at Jim Montgomery's system, he would talk about it's about winning the faceoffs, it's about controlling the puck, 
It's about using your speed. And pressuring the puck. Exactly. Pressuring the puck. Couple things. I have not seen great pressure on the puck from the Dallas Stars. Teams are getting out of their zone with great ease. And they can't get in a zone. Exactly. On the power play, no, like, even strength, nothing. Exactly. Exactly. And when you break down the face-offs, regular face-offs during the game, not as much a problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Sitting around the top 10. But when you break down face-off wins, when you're on the power play, 20th. And then when you're shorthanded, it drops to 25th. That's that's concerning. So you're allowing another team to control the play, and you're a man down. And then when you need it most in the offensive end with the extra man, you're still not doing it. So we talk, there's there's face-offs, and then there's those crucial face-offs. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, really says the issue. The other issue is the speed. There hasn't been a game this year where I've thought the Stars were the faster team on the ice. Yeah, And I don't know if that goes back to what Jim Montgomery said yesterday. They didn't do a pregame skate, but he spoke to the media and he said, we talked in our meeting about bringing more energy onto the ice. Mm-hmm. They weren't faster than the Capitals. They weren't faster than the Bruins. They weren't faster than Detroit. They weren't faster maybe at St. Louis at times. But St. Louis, I mean, still has some amazing players and plays a different style of game. And I was about to say, they're... they're and Buffalo. Their style isn't really that up-and-down-the-ice right. style. The, you know, right. So that should be a team that you should definitely look faster than. So then if you're not built on, if you're struggling with face-offs... Which they have. Yeah. If you're struggling in the speed category, if you're struggling as far as possession and struggling against, you know, putting pressure in their end, we look at like, why are the stars struggling? Yeah. Those are all Jim Montgomery, like top tier points on a successful winning club that they performed last year in the second half. None of those are working right now. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up the, the face-off percentage on the power play and, you know, being shorthanded and just how important those are. I mean, when you start off a power play, especially with this team, and um, I went to the, let's see, which game? Oh, the Capitals game the other night. I went to the Capitals game when they were in town with, against the Stars, and one of the most frustrating things that I noticed throughout that game was that they would lose that face-off, the Capitals would dump the puck down the entire length of the ice, and then the Stars couldn't even just get in the zone and get a power play set up. Yeah, and you know I was sitting around a bunch of Capitals fans, and they were yelling like, like th- that they they felt like they were on a break when the when the Stars were on a power play. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and that, they, they threw some more cuss words in there, but like they were they were calling out the the Stars power play and how atrocious it yeah. was. When you looked at the difference, that's such a great point, Shippy. Because when I was there. When you looked at the difference between how the Capitals set up their power play and how the spacing was there and how the Stars had to play catch-up as the puck was winding around to an Alex Ovechkin Mm -hmm. or someone else, and then you looked at the Stars and how aggressive the Capitals were as far as coming out to meet Klingberg and Haskinen and going after Sagan. They had no worries that they were a man down. Right, And, And to me, the book's out. On the Stars' power play. Mm-hmm. Be super aggressive. Don't go back into your box. Make them, Meet them make at the a blue mistake. Line. Meet them at the blue line. Yeah, Make them make a mistake because they are making too many mistakes and they can't set up their power play. 
And five on five, four, you know, on the penalty kill, on the power play, they are ter- taking care of the puck is a huge issue for this team right now. And it's yeah. not one player. You know, I feel like John Klingberg, for the majority of his tenure here, has always been the one guy that's been identified as tries to do too much, turns the puck over, you know, and a lot of fans get frustrated with him for that reason. But it's been a whole, like, from top to bottom of this entire team, nobody's been, except Miro Haskinen, has always seemed to have done a really good job of taking care of the puck. Yeah. But none of these guys on the Stars are taking care of the puck like they no. need to, and it's making, they can't establish anything. Careless errors. They, Careless errors that are just really costly. I mean, Bishop and Hudobin have kind of got them out of some jams. When they, you know, had costly turnovers, right? Um, you know, at the same time, you're right. Haskinen's the one carrying the puck up. I mean, you got to step up when Pollock and Dickinson are out and Perry's out. And, yeah. I mean, there has to be your big guys. Uh, I tweeted out yesterday. Uh, I think it's thirty nine percent of your salary cap is with Pavelski, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, and Radulov. Yeah. Seven games, the four players have combined for four goals and eight total points. Ugh. That's in a nutshell. I mean, and these guys got to score. Pavelski has one assist on the season yeah. so far. I mean, seven games in, still early, and they could get this thing turned around, but I don't even see signs of... I don't even see many positive signs that give me hope or optimism that they're going to turn... The, the 4-0 game against the Sabres... That's the flattest I think I've seen them look all yeah. season. This is a team that's looked flat all season. I was extremely happy for Antoine Roussel when he got that contract in Vancouver. I thought Vancouver overpaid for Antoine Roussel. I was okay with letting him go. Mm-hmm. What I didn't anticipate was that the team would not have someone kind of in that role. I'm not saying drop the gloves all the time. I'm not saying, you know, cause a ruckus. But when you're losing, for instance, as they did Saturday night or even yesterday in Buffalo, mm-hmm. and you're down two, three, nothing, you got to throw a check. Yeah. You got to energize your team somehow. You got to crash the net. You got to put pucks on the net. Mm-hmm. How many times have we seen the Stars this year go for that extra pass? Too many. Rather than just shoot the puck. And I'm talking like guys like Radulov, Sagan. Like passing over shooting. Radulov had one against the uh, the Capitals on a power play where they had an odd man rush entering the uh, their offensive zone, and he held onto the puck to try to sw- to try to saucer pass it across yeah. to you know the guy on the weak side. I think it was I think it might have been Jamie Ben on the other side. The the puck got stopped. the The defender I don't remember who it was laid his stick down, stopped the puck, cleared it out, and then boom, all momentum. I mean, it it felt like. That was a big moment in the game, as small as it would appear to a lot of people. Yeah, to me, it felt like a really big sure. moment because it was just a it was just totally drained everybody. Yeah, from the fans to the players, like right. And and I don't understand this hesitancy to shoot the puck to throw yeah. it on net, especially when scoring is an issue right now. Yeah, absolutely. you don't have the time or the or the the cushion in the standings to be passing up on all these 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 chances. I mean, he wasn't on the backhand or anything. He was on his forehand. Yeah. You know, shoot the puck, maybe shoot it down, you know, shoot it low so it maybe maybe he gives up a a rebound or something. Our, our man Jeff K can only say so many times. Stars fans get ready, get loud. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling because it's like power play. Okay, here we go again. And there was a nice club there was a nice crowd on Saturday for Very the Capitals nice. game. And I worry that the way that this is going for them, that those fans 
you know, that maybe bought on bought into the hype that this offseason provided after such a nice playoff run and being so close to, you know, moving on to the next round of the the NHL playoffs. I worry that they're going to lose the attention, you know, when especially you've got all these other for, uh, sports right. starting to fire up in the Metroplex. And it's not the first time it's happened for this fan base. It, if you remember when they went to the Western Conference Finals mm-hmm. and lost to the Detroit Red Wings, everyone was excited the following year and they fell short. Yeah. So, I mean, I know the Western Conference specifically, very, very tough. Actually, I don't know. There's probably maybe four or five teams in hockey that you should beat. And that's being generous. It's probably two or three. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about parity in the NFL. Parity has reached the NHL. Well, no, I feel like parity's always been a big yeah, thing in the NHL. Well, you know? where the eight can beat the one and right, stuff like that. Right. But I mean, you know, when we look around the league, it's like perfect example was yesterday. Buffalo. That's typically a team. Yeah. Oh, Buffalo undefeated. W. Yeah. Yeah. Who's got the number one power play in the league? Buffalo. Buffalo yeah. When you look at stars, you would say Jeff Skinner and Jack Eichel are two. Who do they play for? The Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. And then, heck, the Carolina Hurricanes get rid of Jeff Skinner, and they make it to the West, uh, Eastern Conference Finals last year. Yeah. So, And then you look at, all right, the Islanders are usually bad. Well, I don't know. They had Barry Trotz, and they did pretty good last year. And th- that was coming off... Getting rid of John Tavares. Right. And went so to I, the Maple Leafs. I mean, I fret to say this, and I hope Stars fans, well, get mad at me if you have to. Mm-hmm. I think teams around the league and or fans around the league look at Dallas as one of those beatable teams now. And it's not like it's not like Ben Bishop or Hugh Dobin are, have any sort of fault to play no. in this. I mean, that was uh, one question that I did get. You know, I, we teased that we were going to talk about this a little bit later, but one of the questions that I did get... Uh, from D Wood on Twitter at David underscore W29. One of the questions he fired off to us was, why does Ben Bishop have bad first periods? And I do, I don't have like a stat to back this up, but I do feel like the Stars typically get scored on very early in these games to start. And I remember that being kind of an issue at times during the last season, but I think that's as much of a reflection on everybody playing in front of Ben Bishop as it is, you know, Ben Bishop's play itself. I feel as though Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin have great pressure on them. Like the quality of chances that other teams get compared to what we have. You know, we talk about outshooting our opponents, which the Stars do a lot. But, you know, I watch it and I'm like, okay, you outshot them, but what was the quality of the shots? Mm -hmm. But I agree. I think Ben Bishop would even say, hey, I need to be better in the first period. That said... Yesterday was almost an anomaly where they let in four goals. It's very rare. I mean, mm-hmm. you're looking at two goals and then a shutdown. Yeah, and, and it seems like with these two goaltenders, they feel like they can't make a mistake. Right. Or else, I mean, you got a team in front of you that can't score, and that was supposed to be the thing that they fixed from last season was to provide that scoring. And you know, just a second ago, you were talking about Antoine Roussel. Going, just going back to Corey Perry, I think there's a really good chance if he can stay healthy. That's the biggest question, obviously, with him. If he can't stay healthy, then it doesn't matter. But that's the one guy on this roster who will play and fill yes. that Antoine Roussel role and hopefully be able to kind of, you know, light that spark under the team whenever they need it, you know, t- throw a big hit, get into a fight, or, you know, just 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 annoy, agitate the Absolutely. other team and make them take a dumb penalty. Now, hey, you got a nice power play opportunity, and I think that's another place that he can provide a lot of 
uh, you know, positive influence on, on this team is that net front presence. Now, yeah. if they can't enter the zone or if they can't win that offensive dro- uh, offensive zone faceoff to just keep the puck in the offensive zone, it's not even going to matter because he can't get set up in front of the net. Yeah, and that's that might have a lot to do with Pavelski's early struggle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and analytics has entered the hockey world in a big, big way. Mm-hmm. But I think there are certain factors that don't show up in analytics. And when people say the bruisers are outdated now, it's all about speed. I disagree. You look at I last year's. Yeah, look at Ryan Reeves. Exactly. On Vegas. Exactly. I would love a Ryan Reeves on my team. And that's Absolutely. why, like you, I'm excited that Perry's going to join this lineup. But the other night's a perfect example. They're playing Calgary. Calgary didn't get a lot of power play time. But when they were on the power play, here comes out fourth liner Milan Lucic. Mm-hmm. And his job is to park in front of the netminder. Right. And that's just his job to get a tip, to score a trash goal, to draw another penalty, but mostly screen the goaltender. Yeah. And when I watch the Stars power play, it almost seems as though it takes time for that to develop that we can't even get a person really in front of the net to show like we're looking for the tip more than we are looking for the screen. Yeah. And you know, that's I think that that's probably at this point of his career Pavelski's biggest and best zone that he works in is that yeah. front of the net. And he's really good behind the net too and it almost reminds me kind of, you know, not exactly to the to this point, but it kind of reminds me of flashes of Mike Ribeiro when he's able to get the to get the puck behind the net and the, you know, just kind of using the net to his advantage. I think that, that those are the two areas where he could really have the biggest impact for this team. Yeah, that's a good good comparison. He's not the guy who's going to be flying and just, no. you know, your defense isn't worried about him getting behind you. Um, so I think that that's the place that he kind of and kind of would would excel the most in this offense. And that's what in Monty's system is what Monty wants from him too. But the problem is they can't establish that possession in the offensive zone even make put him in the best position to succeed. One of the things that I was most attracted to in bringing Joe Pavelski here was his leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. When asked about those leadership qualities, he first said, I need to fit in. I want to become a part of this team. Mm-hmm. You know, there's already Jamie Benn, who's the captain. But I wonder how long it will take before a Joe Pavelski steps up in the room and say, guys, this is not good enough. It's still early in that aspect. Right. But at some point, I think as fans, as people who watch this team, we want someone yelling in the room. They need, I mean, yeah. And they, there was the, I can't remember what game it was, but Monty turned, there was a, they're going into a third period, a pivotal third period. And Monty told him, he goes, Jamie, the coaches aren't going in there. Coaches aren't going in there. It's your locker room. You need to go in there and you need to get this turned around. Yeah. And it seems really early for that to be the case. And I'm, I'm sitting here and, you know, there's all these rumors. Will they, will they fire Monty? Like, what, what point does that happen? And I'm like, when I hear something like that, it makes me worry. It makes me wonder if the coaching staff has lost the room. Yeah. And I don't know how it would be possible to lose the room unless this is a situation like, you know, back when Banny was in town where you started the year where these guys were already tired of the voice in the room. And I have, I've not heard anything to suggest that. But yeah, neither have I. That's where my mind goes, you know? It's interesting because at some point I think the finger has to be pointed in two places. It needs to be pointed at the players. Mm-hmm. Because from the Dave Tippett 
era. And I mean, at the time, the team wasn't playing well for Dave Tippett. I always and, liked Dave Tippett, by the way. I hated it when they fired him. I know. I'm really happy for him in Edmonton. They're off to a great yeah. start. They're 5-0-1, yeah, I believe. And kudos to former star James Neal. He is seven goals. Oh my! Has he tacked on one yeah, since then? I would have done that trade. I would have Woo! given. I would have given someone up for James. How Neal. mad are you if you're a Flames fan after last season? Yeah, you're really upset. Now the Flames have a good team, so that might yeah, shadow that it, it a little helps, bit. It helps. But at the same time, yeah, doesn't look like the best of trade right now. I think they wanted to dump that contract more yeah. than anything. So, but we talk about Tippett, and then from Tippett, we uh, made a move to Mark Crawford. From Mark Crawford, we went to Glenn Gullitson. From Glenn Gullitson, we went to Mark Crawford. Yeah, Mark Crawford to Glenn Gullitson. Glenn Gullitson to Lindy Ruff. Lindy Ruff uh, to Ken Hitchcock. Ken Hitchcock now to Jim Montgomery. Yeah. How many coaches do we have to go through before we point the finger at the regulars? Now, the problem with the regulars is the no-movement clauses. So those players I previously mentioned, and it's too early to talk this way. Mm Mm-hmm. But the players that I've mentioned, Ben Sagan, Pavelski, and Radulov, have no movement clauses. So that really weakens your stance as far as trade. You have to get the players' permission. They have to provide a list of teams that they're willing to go to. So your trade partners are limited. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the other side if you're a GM. If I'm, say, let's say uh, the Vancouver Canucks, there was talk about Jamie Benn because he's from Victoria, Canada. That was a uh, the, a big off season thing. Yeah. It was like I think a lot of people were speculating like Jamie Ben for Everly. Would they pull? You yeah. Know, would they be able to pull off this trade? It would make right. sense a lot for both sides. Right. So if you're in management for the Vancouver Canucks, because you can't look at it from the stars' perspective. Well, you can and say, yeah, let's do that for Brock Besser or something like that. But if you look at it from the Vancouver Canucks, and we're using this only as an example. Why, if I'm the Vancouver Canucks GM, would I take someone that it appears as though on the downside of their career with a contract that's going to cap my salary and really going to tighten up the strings as far as what moves I can make when I have a young team on the rise? So you can pick any team and put Tyler Sagan in the mix, Pavelski in the mix, Radulov in the mix. Those are all contracts and they're all multi-year contracts. Yeah, if I'm Vancouver, I would consider it until it got to the contract point. Because you brought up Milan Lucic a second ago, and I think that this would be way easier for Jamie to do in Vancouver than here, but to accept that role as a fourth-line guy or yeah. third-line guy. But you're not going to pay that kind of money for a fourth-line or a third-line guy like that. And so yeah. until you got to that point, I was like, well, I could figure out a role for him. right? And he could be a winning player on a young team and provide some of that you know, that leadership and stuff, that the same thing that Joe Pavelski was brought here for. You know, he could provide that in Vancouver. Yeah. But it, the contract just can't. You just can't. can't. It's just, it's just you, too big. You know a player I love? And I say this when I'm at the games. I love angry Jamie Ben. Yeah. When someone picks on somebody, an angry Jamie Ben occurs. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we're seeing these monster hits. He's moving people out of the way. Right. I don't know if he can play like that for 82 games, but if Jamie Ben was on the third line and doing that, I'd be okay right now. Yeah. You know, but when you're on the first line, you got to put up points. This is not necessarily an indictment of Jamie Ben. And this is the issue that, you know, we have in all of sports. 
I mean, Dak Prescott will be the same way if he gets $34, $35 million. Right, right. When you're talking about top contracts in the NHL, and Jamie Benn is one of them, the scoring and the total points and the plus-minus, all those things. Everything just gets magnified. It's mirrored with the contract. Yeah. If Jamie Benn's making $3 million a year, you know, someone asked on one of our Twitter questions, John Klingberg. I'm okay with John Klingberg right now because it's a very favorable contract. And I actually think John Klingberg's going to, I think he struggled, but I, I don't think he's the worst problem on the team. Right. I mean, honestly, I think Essa Lindell struggled too. I mean, and that's a $6 million contract now. And it's funny you bring up Klingberg because Klingberg told him, he goes, hey, I took a team-friendly discount. Don't do that, man. Yeah. He's like, go get your money. Yeah, yeah. So, And that's going to be an interesting contract when it comes up. And we could talk about that and further. We could do a contract uh, podcast in the future, you know, as far as who to keep, who not to keep and stuff. Now, for people listening out there, Right now, as of right now, the stars are against the cap. So they're waiting to make the Corey Perry move or to to send uh to send Kamano down till there's like deadlines and stuff where it yeah. saves them cap space just by the day that they're right. having to do because and a lot of this they got hampered by those injuries that we mentioned in the first game against the Bruins because they were already so close to the cap. And now they are having to pull off. They're have to pull these crazy strings that I had honestly never really even considered or worried about because I don't remember the stars being in a predicament quite like this before in a yeah. salary cap yeah. standpoint. But they're having to do a lot of these crazy technical things just right. to stay under the cap, just yeah, barely. They're they're up again. So Kamano and Lesperance go down, and that is definitely a sign that Corey Perry is on his way back. Um. That also goes back to drafting as far as salary yeah. cap in your favor. When you mentioned the Ben Sagan, Radulov, Pavelski, those are all big con. You can't keep signing big contracts. Right. I know it's the sexy thing to do, but that's why you need a Joe Pavelski to really get going because it really hurts in your... Where do you get your third and fourth liners? You, you get them through the draft. Mm-hmm. You get yeah. a Kyle Connor. In the draft, instead of a Valeri Nichushkin right. or yeah. a Julius Honka. Um, I mean, you look at some of the... And we could do this all day. And it, it's not completely fair against Jim Nill to do that. But if you do look at the Stars draft record, it has not been great. I'll throw one out that's a lot of people don't want to hear is... You look at Miro Haskinen. Great player. Excited to have him. Who was drafted right after him? Kale McCarr. Yeah. There. Who would I rather have Woo. right now? I mean, you know, they're both great players. Yeah. But boy, is Makar looking good. Then we drop down to the sixth overall pick with Vancouver. Pretty good forward that we could use some secondary scoring with. That was drafted the sixth pick, and uh, Haskinen was picked in the third pick. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's the wrong pick. I'm not right, saying it's right. the wrong pick. I mean, but th- that's, I mean, that top of that draft is one of the huge, greatest, one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Like the fact that, I mean, Kale Makar going third. He was number one in pretty much any other draft of the last decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. He went fourth. Uh, uh, Haskinen went third. Oh, yeah, fourth. I'm sorry. Um, but, I mean, then you look at the number one. It's probably the worst out of yeah. all of them. Um, you know, uh, I got to pronounce this right name right. Nico Hersher? Hersher, yeah. With, yeah. The, uh, the, with the New Jersey Devils. Devils. yeah. So you look and it's like, oh, well. And he had the most hype going into oh, that. Oh, absolutely. That, that was, was like, that was the no-brainer. That was the no-brainer. Yeah. You know, no, no-brainer pick. So, 
You know, one of the other things that I wanted to point out about this year is there are a lot of teams that didn't make the playoffs this past year that I'm kind of scared of. I've been watching a lot of tape on those Edmonton Oilers. They are fast, oh. and they can score, and they're better defensively, and now they have a legitimate goaltender in Mike Smith. Yeah. So count them in in the wild card race. I mean, Vancouver, big-time weapons, picked up Tyler Myers, picked up Jordy Ben, basically revamped their entire defense core. Count them in the wild card race. Yeah. Arizona Coyotes picked up Phil Kessel. Look for them to make some. So, I mean, the it's a different Pacific than it was. And my other issue is Colorado. Boy, did they put a number on the Capitals last night. Yeah. Wow. That was like, I mean, you got Kadri skating on the third line. That's a very, very good Colorado Avalanche I mean, he'll probably team. get suspended at some point for yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but you brought up Kale McCarr. Yeah. And then he br- he was brought up for the playoff run. Right. And they looked like one of the most dangerous teams in the West last Absolutely. season. That that uh, Colorado-Calgary playoff season or playoff series last year in the first round, yeah. that is one of the best playoff series I have ever watched. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, ever. I had so much fun watching that, and it didn't matter. Like, when it was on, it was stop-down, must-watch hockey for Right, me. right. And I was just sitting there just thinking, man, when when he has a full season under his belt, oh. maybe, maybe, he was, maybe he was a little fresher than a lot of other players in the playoffs because he didn't endure that regular season. But I'm looking... I mean, this kid just went straight from college to the Stanley Cup yeah, playoffs and was yeah. an immediately big-time impact player. Yeah, for yeah, and similar to Rope Hintz, yeah. has really picked up. Right. You know, hasn't lost any part of his game. And then you look at, you know, one of the things I said in the preseason, it's kind of funny, I went on TSN in Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and they were touting the stars, and uh, I was telling my buddy Kevin O, who does the show up there, I'm like, I'm going to be a homer here. And let's not count out the Winnipeg Jets. If you have Patrick Laine, if you have Kyle Connor, yeah. you know, if you have some of these weapons, wow, look out. Yeah, Bufflin's down. They lost Tyler Myers. They made some trades. They lost Jacob Truba. But that's still a really good, that's one of the best minor league organizations in hockey. So now you have the Colorado Avalanche. You have the Winnipeg Jets. You have the Nashville Predators. And oh, yeah, you have the Stanley Cup champion, the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, it's, that's why you need to get going and get going fast. And that's why I think it was Radulov who was talking about. I mean, obviously we're in this together. You never want to start the season out like this, and that's why you know it's getting more publicity and stuff and more talk here in Dallas. But when you have those different types of when you have that those expectations headed into the season, and you're in what is the toughest division in hockey. Yeah. And the Western Conference is just brutal, brutal from top to bottom. And, you know, you brought up the Coyotes a second ago and how, how strong of a team that is. They're in the cellar. Yeah. That's the cellar team, just right, right below the stars in terms of the, you know, the, uh, the, the central division. So it's, it's definitely, definitely really, it's an uphill battle from here on out for the Dallas Stars. Yeah. There's a lot of people, and I made a joke about this on Twitter about, hey, look, they're just doing what the Blues did last year. They'll just start off really terribly. Maybe fire your coach halfway through, and then everything just fixes itself from that point on. But I'm not panicked just yet. But I'm not. I'm also not super optimistic that they're going to be able to turn this, turn this around, and make up for it with some long, elaborate, you know, winning streak or something like that. Like, yeah. 
I haven't seen anything. The the quality of chances that opposing teams are getting are way better than they were last year. The shots that seem to be super harmless shots, you know, from the from the outside from the boards, you're not get, you're not seeing a lot of those shots anymore. There's a lot of really quality chances that the opposing team are getting against the Dallas Stars at any, you know, depending on if they're on the penalty kill, if it's a power right. play, even strength, it doesn't matter. It seems like they're the the quality chances that or the shots that Ben Bishop is having to stop, or Anton Udobin, whoever's in net, their quality chances, you know, just no matter what. Yeah. And it's been, I don't understand, honestly, I don't understand what could have changed from last season to this season, because it seemed like the team only got better, you know, just on paper. But that's, on paper. that's part of the problem with trying to determine something based on paper. Yeah. You know, it's, that's what it is. It's just a name on a piece of paper. Yeah, they made big moves, and so far it hasn't, hasn't, hasn't panned out. You know, one of the big news stories that uh, happened early in the season that I wanted to talk about was Dennis Gurionov being sent down. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to transition that earlier when we were talking about Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin feeling like they can't make a mistake. Right. Because he obviously can't make a mistake. Because he gets benched for the rest of the game, basically. I think he had one or two more shifts. Was that, yeah. the Red, that was the Red Wings game. Yeah. Where it, was he, a, it was a bad mistake. It was a bad mistake. But, but it was a mistake. You're on a, team, you're on a team that's full of making bad mistakes yeah. right now. Yeah. Essa Lindell made a mistake, and I didn't see him go out. It, exactly. It, it, I mean, you see this all across sports, though. One guy got paid, one guy didn't. Yeah. But, nonetheless, I think that this guy, with all the problems with scoring and secondary scoring, I mean, he would get sent down and has a hat trick just like that. Yeah. I mean, day he's sent down... He travels to Des Moines, Iowa, and plays the Iowa Wild and scores a hat trick. And you know that that was like he's pissed. You know, yeah. You know, you know that. I bet he he feels. I I, I kind of relate his situation a little bit to Honka's in just terms of just players that are frustrated because they know that they're way better than how they're getting treated. And prob- part of that, I do agree with. You know, don't treat these players like they're superstars already because you may develop or encourage that diva mentality. But at the same point, right now you're not in a position where you can just leave goals at the AHL level. Yeah. What I would like to, what I would have liked to have seen is sit down Dennis Gurionov and say, minimum, we're giving you 20 games. Minimum. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about mistakes and just go with it. Right. Just to see if he could develop. You nailed one of my biggest frustrations. I'm tired of seeing players on the stars, when they're young, be afraid to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, benched or scratched. Happened to Jamie Alexiak. Yeah. Happened to Julius Honka. Now it's happening to Dennis Gurionov. It happened to Rope Hintz. It even happened with Val Nichushkin. Val Nichushkin. You know? Val Nichushkin could not stand, and it, that was the thing that Lindy Ruff did. Yeah. And that's a reason that he couldn't stand Lindy Ruff, and that's a reason he went to Russia for a year right? and then came back. It's because he did not want to play for Lindy yeah. Ruff. And and let's not, they're both Russian, but I think we can't equate one without the other. The difference between Val Nichushkin and Val Nichushkin, to me, shouldn't have said what he said last weekend and basically I mean I appreciate his honesty but he said he didn't he gave up here in Dallas yeah he didn't try as hard that's as what it looked have. like on the ice yeah it looked like that on the ice and that's yeah. at times what I see right. from the, the team that's being fielded right now right right yeah and uh, there was one great tweet said dear stars I want my 40 games back 
You know, yeah. I mean, you pay and you got a guy that's just defensively, he was just kind of floating around and didn't really have an assignment. Mm-hmm. I thought he got better toward the playoffs defensively, but still, it just was never there. And you brought him back twice. You know, you brought him back from the KHL. A guy like Dennis Gurionov gets drafted in the first round, comes over from Russia, has to learn the language, mm-hmm. and then develops in the AHL. And the knock on Dennis Gurionov, rightfully so, there were some games with the Texas Stars, best player on the ice. I talked to one of my contacts in the AHL. He said, this guy is an NHL caliber player big time. He's the best player on the ice. Think about uh, Val Nachushkin, what Yarmir Yager said about him. Yeah. He said he thought that he was going to be, by the end of his career, one of the best players ever to play hockey. Right, yeah. And then the Gurionov development, those games where he didn't show up were less and less and less. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to seen the Stars start the season and said, 20 games, here you go, make it happen. And put him on some quality lines. Because to me, Dennis Gurionov is not a fourth-line player. Mm-hmm. And he's not a third-line player. I think if you put him with some scorers, then maybe... And he had some chances in the early game. Yeah. There's no questioning. To me, on the ice, him and Hintz are the fastest players. And, and th- I was about to bring up Hintz because... He's not a fourth line player either, no. but that's where he was, and he would show flashes. And you know, the fourth line player, what they play maybe 13, 14 minutes a game yeah. throughout the entire thing. I mean, you can make a big impact, but we never saw the emergence of Rope Hence until towards the middle to late of last season when he got moved up and he got moved up and he right. got certainly he's on the second line sometimes, sometimes he's on the first line. I mean, Monty will put him wherever he feels like he needs him. But the thing is, this roster needs more players that has that speed because, like we talked about earlier with Jamie Benn and Joe Pavelski, those are guys who are no longer the skaters that they used to be. They're far distant yeah. from it, and they need to be surrounded with speed. Right. If you surround them with speed, and I think the return of Jason Dickinson helps out yeah, a ton absolutely. in that. T- yeah. and, and that was a big injury when he got hurt in the first game. It was. It's a really, really good thing that he's back with the Stars. Because his development was impressive last it, year. It was very impressive, and, and this was that was one of the guys who, you know, along with Rope Hintz, you go into the you go into the next season thinking hoping that he makes another big step just like he did last year. Yeah. But Gurionov needs to be on this team because this team needs a guy like Dennis right. Gurionov. Right. And I you under- need scoring help. You need scoring help. And you got a guy that's scoring at the top level uh, underneath the NHL. And and imagine putting him with some more skilled players yeah. like a Pavelski or a Sagan or a Ben, you know? You really saw uh when Sagan and Hintz were paired last year together. Yeah. Sagan would even say, you know, because Sagan used to be that young guy who was flying down the ice, and he talked about the importance of that speed on the line because now the defense suddenly can't meet you at the blue line. Right. Because Rope Hintz is going to blow past you, yeah. and if there's a good entry pass, all of a sudden Rope Hintz has either got a one-on-one with a defender or he's in on a breakaway. And you need more players like that. Alexander Radulov isn't... You know, the, the skater that he used to be. These guys are all getting older. They're yeah. not going to get faster the older they get. Right. So you need to infuse some of that youth with this veteran presence that's in the Dallas Stars lineup. And it just makes no sense to have that guy down at the AHL level. I, I was just thinking about it this week, and I'm like, okay. I thought Kamano, in his time here, played well. He's 21. I, I thought think so, a, too. I, I think a season in the AHL will do wonders for him. And and being brought up and playing those third, fourth-line minutes when you yeah. need him based on injury, you, perfect. He's a Absolutely. perfect fill-in. At the same time, I was thinking to myself, Lesperance, 
and Kamano are up here, and Denis Gurionov is down at the AHL level. Yeah. How frustrating is that for? I mean, if if you or I were Denis Gurionov, wouldn't we be saying, "What else do I need to do?" I, I, I understand I, his frustration. I understand his frustration too, and I also understand that he is a guy that can go in the corners and get the puck. He's not just a one-dimensional scorer. Right. It's just getting the right people around him, apparently, to motivate him. Yeah. You know, where he doesn't disappear. Because there were games this year where he was on the ice and you didn't hear his name called. But I could say that about a lot of the Stars players. Yeah. No, yeah, 100%, man. It's man, it's it's a frustrating time. It's, a lot of it's perplexing from what you see from the Dallas Stars. Um, well, it's frustrating because it's not just drafting the player, it's developing the player as well. Right. And management can say that this player didn't have the effort, but you drafted him. Mm-hmm. You drafted Valeri Nichushkin. Right. Other teams stayed away, and there's a reason that he dropped. And then you drafted Julius Honka, who personally I still think can play in the NHL. I really do. He looked great on the power play. Yeah. He looked great with the puck. I mean... There's a lot of John Klingberg to him with deception, and he's got speed. And I'm, dude, I've talked with Honka just one-on-one before about a lot of this stuff, and he is, just like we talked about with Garyanov, he is very frustrated. Yeah. Very frustrated. I hope he gets another shot with another club. I think he's too talented not to, but yeah. I think that he's going to get a shot with another team, and then you know later this season or next season or whenever this happens— Stars fans are going to be watching him succeed in another uniform. They're going, okay, why couldn't he succeed in a Dallas Stars yeah, uniform? We saw that with Brendan Dillon. Brendan, where the frustrations got to a point, and, I, and it was a lot of it was over a contract, right? But it got to a point where you know traded him to San Jose uh, for Jason Demers, yeah. And Demers was a nice player, yeah. He was, uh, but he was, it, yeah, he was solid for yeah, that. Solid. That was the playoff run that year. Yeah, he was it was a pretty, couple of years. But at the sa- at the same time, you know, you, now you look at Brendan Dillon and it's like, wow. And he showed he showed great flashes of a lot of things that this team needs. Yes, exactly. The speed, the mobility the from power. the defense, the power, the hitting. Yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of that. And yeah. right now, and I think that the, going back to your Alexiak point, I think that that's a guy who needs to be moved up in the. I agree in, in the defensive pairings yeah. because he's he's good at the puck. He's not afraid to shoot, which I love because this whole team. Just seems like putting the puck on the net is not what they want to do. Right. But he's not afraid to shoot the puck. He's not a, He's not afraid to fight. He's going to throw his body around finally. That was his biggest knock in his first tenure here was, well, he's big. Why isn't he hit? The big rig. Why isn't he hitting people? You yeah. know? Well, he went to Pittsburgh, maybe learned from he did. some some veteran defensemen and stuff there. He come, he came back, and he's not afraid to do those things no, anymore. So he's a different player. We need to allow him to show that he can do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'm all up about moving him up as far as defensively. The fact that not a lot of people have mentioned Jamie Alexiak means that he's doing a great job. Right. It's yeah. like it's like a quarterback. You know, when you don't hear about the cornerback on the opposing team, it's because they're doing their job and they're shutting things down. And if this team was, you know, four, two and one or anything but one, five and one, then Jamie Alexiak's play might be being highlighted right yeah. now is hey, man, what a great trade for the Pittsburgh Penguins of the Stars basically to undo their initial trade. Actually, they actually did undo their yeah, first they trade. Did, yeah. They just gave each other back what they traded each other for them yeah. at the time. But um, that would be some of the highlight of, hey, nobody's talking about this, but look at Jamie Alexiak. But right now, everything is so bad that everybody's right. focusing on the bad and how to make that better. I, I think when you get guys, and hopefully Alexiak turns into this as far as a calming person on the blue line, 
That's why I love the pickup of Ben Lovejoy last year. Yeah. He was here for a short period of time. NHL defenseman who won a Stanley Cup. He's a veteran. And to me, he was just a calming person out there. And you need those kind of people on the team. You need those guys that aren't necessarily going to score. We need to but have they'll do to what it takes to win. We need Ben Lovejoy to. <laughs> we need Ben Lovejoy to. Ben, if you're listening. Okay, so I want to get to the power play. I, I, I missed it on the first time, but the one thing that I'm. All right. St. Louis has Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. But what else do they have? They have a slap shot that will cripple someone if they get in front of it in Colton Pareko. Yeah. Who, to me, I have among elite defensemen in the NHL. I mean, I really do. I think maybe he's a year or two away just because of his youth, but the guy does everything right on the ice. So I say that because when I watch the Stars, I see wrist shots toward the net because I know they're looking for the tip. Right. But what are teams not afraid of? Wrist shots coming at you. Right. And so I think maybe teams, if we just had... Remember the days of... uh, Sergey Zuboff with that slap shot. I know the game has changed, but Sergey Zuboff with that yeah. slap shot. Even Daryl Sador, Daryl Sador. Had, I mean, Darian Hatcher's. Darian Hatcher. His. Was it Philip Boucher who had that one big yeah, year? Yeah. Yeah, with the mighty slap shot from the point, and mm-hmm. he got good money in Philadelphia because of that. I mean, I just look and I'm like, okay, the power play, who is it? It's Sagan one timer or bust. Yeah. And until you have, like, for instance, I had a theory that I was talking about at the uh, AAC the other night against the Capitals. Why not put a player on a Vetchkin on the, yeah, you're shorthanded, but just take a player and put it on him so he mm-hmm. can't shoot. But then you think about it and it's like, okay, there's that guy named TJ Oshie. There's that guy named Backstrom. <laughs> they have players. Because that's yeah, off. Exactly. Kuzi. They have players that can put it in the net. The Stars do, too. They do, too. But if I'm defending the Stars' power play right now, I'm aggressive toward the point, mm-hmm. try to make them make mistakes, and I'm definitely closing down Sagan. Well, I'm not worried about... I'm really not even worried about them getting a power play established, either, at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean you're right. They're, Sagan is the only slap shot that you would really fear on that power play unit, but... Even then, like you said, it's a one-timer. So if you block the pass or if you just eliminate the opportunity for a pass, you're looking for stuff around the net. You're looking for wrist shots. You're looking for... I mean, if you just clog up the lanes, and you're, you know, you're, you're pretty good. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to worry about, like you were saying, Colton Pareko or even Alex Petrangelo at the, uh, at the top, yeah. you know, at the blue line, taking a slap shot. And, you know, where defenders don't want to block it because they don't want to have to deal with that that bruise or broken bone or whatever it might, you know, might cause. And a few stars fans have said dump and chase are outdated. But as you mentioned, if you're getting blocked and you can't even get into the zone, what's the only option left? I don't think necessarily dump and chase is outdated. It's winning the puck battles in the corner. If you win those puck battles, like the St. Louis blues did an amazing job, Mm -hmm. get it in, and then just grind, cycle, and cycle, cycle, and cycle, wear them cycle, out. Cycle. Exactly. So if you can win those puck battles, dump and chase is a a pretty successful. Yeah. Ultimately, you want to carry it in the zone, right? But if uh, if the opposition of the stars is coming toward the blue line and clogging things up at mid ice, you have to put the defenseman on those heels, yeah. and that means going back, and it also means throwing a check. Right. And, but and you also have like we talked. We're going to talk about this guy ad nauseum, obviously, this year. 
Uh, but Rope Hintz yeah. can get to those pucks. Yeah. And so then the defensemen have to back off because it's no more, hey, okay, the Stars, all right, here comes Klingberg. All right, now he's going to drop pass it. Sagan's now got it. Now he's going to try to enter the zone by himself. Okay, if we can stop him or eliminate the pass or break up the pass and and just break up their, uh, how fluently they can get into the offensive zone, then we're good. You know, there's none of that. There at least seems to be an alternative that other teams need to worry about in terms of their approach. I think you're absolutely right on that. I think, I think the dump and chase people, the crowd that gets frustrated by that or has a has a bad taste in their mouth when they think about it, is from the stars of ten years ago, right? When the rules were different and there was a lot of different things, and they would just dump and chase it. And it seemed like the defensemen were waiting on it. They would get the puck and they just shoot it down the ice. Yeah, that was a frustrating time. I remember. Yeah, absolutely. I can't exactly identify what years <laughs> during which that happened, but there was a time where I was on that side where I was like, okay, here we go, dump and chase. All right, turnover. Now they're down the other way at the yeah. other end of the ice. Yeah. So I understand why fans would be frustrated with that, but. What's happening now clearly isn't working. Right. So it's similar to physical change. play. Yeah. It's not always, but right. it's a part of the game. And it's just like in different sports where, you know, if you play zone defense all the time in the NBA, you're going to get carved up. Yeah. You know, people are going to start knocking out shots from the outside. You got to mix this stuff in. You can't take just one single approach to everything you do, really, in any sport. Uh, but especially in this case in hockey, you can't just try to one man band it in and then hope to get it set up after that. Well, it's going to be interesting. At Columbus. Yep. At Pittsburgh. At Philadelphia before coming home. And that's on a back to back. Yeah. And then you got Pittsburgh again next week. You got the Senators on Monday and then the Ducks next Thursday and then the Penguins next Saturday. So. Yeah. Weird thing to say, but the Senators are actually a tough matchup for the Stars. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not, that's not an easy, I'm not saying they can't win it, but the Senators have given the Stars problems over the years. So, you know, you can't call that an automatic W, just like tomorrow night. Columbus has given major issues to the Stars. Right. But it's a different Columbus team. Very, very different. Very different. Very, very No Bobrovsky, different. no Panarin, but they still have some really effective weapons. And they have more points than the Stars. They have more points so than the So I'm not going to discount no, them. No, no. And I can't, you know. But if you can get a point tomorrow night. Philadelphia is playing really good hockey, and we know how the Penguins are year after year. So um, it's going to be a tough road stretch for the Stars before they get. But they 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 can't look at the competition anymore. We can't say, well, this team's good, this team's good, this because no. we talked about parity is here to stay in the NHL. You got to beat some of these teams. And one thing that you and I have both seen, it's not like they're getting beat. They're beating themselves. They're not playing their game. It's one thing to lose four to three and you played really well and you right. gave it your all. Then you could say it's progress, mm-hmm. you know, but Jim Montgomery said after yesterday's game that he thought there was actually progress made, which is sad to say from that. They lost four yeah. to nothing and progress was made What he was talking about. The energy and the skating was better. Yeah. Uh, I want to hit a couple questions here on the, uh, the Twitter. Let's like do we- it. Like we uh, promised, we're going to start here with, let's see, we're going to start with Jared Katz, at Jared underscore Katz 30 on Twitter. He said, I still think the Stars are lacking a top four uh, right-handed defenseman. Who do you think would be a realistic target should the season turn for the better and the Stars become buyers? He mentions that Buffalo seems to have several talented right-handed defensemen once everyone's healthy. Yeah, Buffalo is a very talented squad. I think right-handed defenseman. Every team would like a right-handed uh, that's, defenseman. <laughs> that's like uh, a premium. It's like a quarterback, I guess. In, yeah. in football, yeah. You know? 
Because, I mean, I totally agree with you. There's none that, and it's so early, too, that you don't yeah. know who we've even become available. But I do agree with his assessment that that's a need for this team. It's a need for every team. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe that's something that we can kind of address toward the trade know, deadline. Toward the trade deadline. And once we figure it out if they do, in fact, turn this around. Yeah. I think, as weird as it sounds, I do think Roman Polak, who was initially signed here as insurance as a seventh or eighth defenseman, who, because of injuries and everything, has been kind of thrust into this way more important role than he or the Stars probably ever anticipated here. I think getting him back is a huge it's big. thing. It's big. It's huge for that team. Yeah, so. ab- absolutely. I, I, I like Roman Polak. I think that, boy, he's brought great value both on and off the ice. And uh, that was a real tough injury, but luckily it was minimal and uh, can't wait to have him back on the ice because he's a solid top six defenseman. Yeah, and, and right-handed. And you know? right-handed. Yeah, Perfect. absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Let's go with uh, Andrew Loya, at Andrew Loya 7 on Twitter. He says, what's it going to take to light the fire? I was in the building for both games this weekend. Sunday they played with zero intensity. So I think Sunday, he's probably talking about Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. He's, probably, he's talking about the Flames game and the Capitals game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, energy and who on the ice is going to, we talk about Perry, maybe that's mm-hmm. what they need. Who 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 is going to go out there and cause a scrum? Who is going to go out there and get the other players lit up? Who's the guy that's going to be yelling on the bench? Right. It was a problem last year when they lost some players and... They actually came out and said, we need to hear some yelling on the bench. We need our guys to be vocal. Yeah. When you're having to say that, I mean, come on, man. You shouldn't Let's have go. to. Yeah, you Let's go. So that. I think that's what they need. I think they need a guy that's going to go out there and kind of create a little chippiness on the ice. I'm not saying have to drop the gloves and fight. But what I am saying is really be a difference maker and cause the other team issues. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things about our third and fourth line. They not only should be good defensively, they should create issues and wear other teams out. I'm not seeing that. They're okay, but I'm not seeing it's like, here come the grinders. This is going to be great, you know, and they're creating opportunities. It's so important, and a lot of people don't realize. I mean, going into the Stanley Cup last year, one of the key things to who's going to win the Stanley Cup was whose third and fourth line is going to come up big, Bruins or St. Louis, because their third and fourth lines were so good and controlled the game. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, let's see. We already hit this one, but I do want to just thank our own Jared Sandler. He, uh, we hit this, we hit, we hit this love organically. Him. Love him. Uh, obviously, at Jared Sandler on Twitter. But he brought up the Jamie Benn thing. What do you see from him, and is there any hope he returns to form, or is this just the middle of a decline? We already hit it as the decline. I do want to bring up something that... I don't have it right here in front of me. I think somebody may have texted it in or something, but they were basically asking, would you see any scenario where Jamie Benton loses the C on his sweater? Maybe if they don't perform this year. Like a, like an end of the year. I mean, it's yeah. like you're going to do that in the middle of the season, No, right? you're not going to do it in the middle of the season. And I was thinking about season. this earlier. I, I kind of feel like what Jamie Benton is in the middle of is weirdly kind of what happened once Brendan Morrow got the C on his sweater. Yeah. You know, he did a lot up to that point, and I love Brendan Morrow. He's one of my favorite players. But I do remember when he got the captaincy, it was just super weird. Like, he just, the overall production and all this other stuff seemed to just totally tank. Maybe this is something where moving forward, and if they do make a change there, you, you adopt 
what kind of the Edmonton Oilers did, where maybe not 19 years old like Connor McDavid, but you give the captaincy to one of these young guys, not these guys who have already put in those years. Because I wonder if that affects the message at all. If when the captain's talking, you're looking, you're going, well, dude, you're not playing much better than me. You know, like yeah. you're you're struggling. You're not putting the puck in the net. You're not right. doing this. I I wonder if that's something that maybe the NHL will shift towards. You know, where you have these, I mean, obviously Connor McDavid is a generational talent, but I just mean from the standpoint of, hey, would Miro Haskinen get the captaincy, you know, sooner than, you know, sooner than you might have expected once he was drafted? Yeah, I don't know if they'd give it to Pavelski because um, he'd have two years left on his deal. Yeah. So they might not give it to Pavelski, but at the same time, he's a proven leader and Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for the time maybe that he gets more of a leadership role in this organization, but it's going to take time. I will say Jamie Ben steps up in a lot of ways. It's not just the room. I mean, who's the one guy that stepped up to fight at times last year? Right. It was Jamie Ben. Yeah. It was Jamie Ben who did that. He took big hits. He was the one that was getting in the face. You know, I mean, who, who was John with Kachuk the other night against Calgary? It was Jamie Ben. So he is doing a lot of those things. As I mentioned, I just think the contract and the play unfortunately mirrors themselves. And he's and got two com- bad hips, too. And two bad hips. I view Jamie Benn in a Dustin Brown uh, yeah. LA Kings role, where it's like, like that. a guy that's going to give you quality minutes, that's going to get in front of the net, that's going to cause disruption, screen, get garbage goals, which there are no garbage goals, right? but basically score most of his goals that way. Right. And with a valuable center by his side. That's what that's what I see a Jamie Ben role being in the next two years. I wonder if uh, if it's sort of one of those things where with less ice time he would be more productive because he's just not out there as long, you know, as much. Where yeah. if he would shift down to was was Dustin Roll when, or Dustin Brown? I'm sorry, when he was captain, if I remember correctly, he was always playing on like the third or the fourth he line, was. and then but he was a big he was a big time guy on the power play. He was a big time guy on the power play. A new coach came in. And they separated him and Kopitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kopitar and Dustin Brown were together again last year, and it kind of revived him. So sometimes as a player, and I think that's one of the reasons that Radulov and Sagan are with Ben right now, to try to get all three of them going because it has been so effective. At times, they look great. At times, they look great. But what you do in that instance is is you're hurting your secondary scoring. Right. Because then who plays with Pavelski? So it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. I mean, you might as well, you know, one of the things I'd like to see is just just stick them out there. Just just say, you know what, next five games, no matter what, Ben, Sagan, Radulov, that's my first line. Second line, da, da, da. Have time to develop chemistry. I feel as though every single game they're switching, and they're switching up lines. And I know these guys practice together, so they say it really doesn't matter, but I really do think it matters as far as some kind of... Continuity. I mean, look how look how long... Bergeron and Marchant mm-hmm. have played yeah. together. I mean, they just know where each other's going because continuity is important. Yeah. And I wonder if like that sort of continuity or stability would make a guy like Pavelski feel more comfortable that he's playing with the same guys every single yeah, game where he's absolutely. not having to adjust to different guys that... I mean, yeah, in San Jose, he could play with whoever because he's right. Joe Pavelski in San Jose. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we go, mm-hmm. I want to get in a real good plug. Um, And thanks, man. This has been amazing. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. uh, On Saturday, October 26th, we're doing our fan anniversary. 
Mm-hmm. And I think Stars fans have an opportunity that they really haven't had before. We're bringing Ed Balfour and Craig Ludwig together. Yeah. They're going to oh. be together for the entire two hours that they're there. So when you're in line for Ed Balfour, you're going to meet Craig Ludwig. When they're on the air together, they're on the air together. There's also going to be a Q&A. What happened oh. to the Stanley Cup that night? I've tried to get this out of Luds. I know. I've tried to get it out of Luds. Um but we could definitely, we can always certainly ask. It's it's something we need to ask. It's something that... You I feel know, like the more time that passes, too, the more comfortable and more likely right. they are to share these types of things. Yeah, and let me just say this. It's the 20th anniversary of the Dallas Stars winning the Stanley Cup uh-huh. this year. I really think that needs to be celebrated. And that's why we chose to bring those two guys in. You know, we'd love to bring more, uh-huh. but those two guys are great guys. And they get along great, so it's going to be a great atmosphere. From it's what com- I've heard, they can throw them back too. They can, you know. I Belfort, know that for Luds. Yeah, Belfour doesn't throw them back anymore. Oh, he okay. Yes, good for I, him. I have been with Luds, and yeah, yeah. He told me. I remember him telling me one time. He was like, he's like, man, you think I drink a lot? You should drink with Hatch sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I was like, oh my god. The stories alone are worth going to fan yeah. anniversary. So Craig Ludwig, Ed Belfour completely free. It's at Texas Live, an amazing venue. So I just wanted to get that plug in for Stars fans because, you know, for two reasons. You can get an autograph, a picture with the guys. Mm-hmm. You can listen and ask them Q&A forums. But most importantly, I think it's real cool to go out there and say, hey, thanks for the 99 Cup. Absolutely. Well, I certainly look forward to fan anniversary on October the 26th, the free event with free parking yes. at Texas Live along with two legendary uh, Dallas Stars who helped bring the first Stanley Cup ever here to Dallas. Another thing that's been a lot of fun was the first episode of the Sweaters Forever yeah, podcast. We never Gavin. even got into why we called it Sweaters Forever. I know. You want to go? Go ahead. Take it away. <laughs> so originally it was going to be called the Healthy Scratch. Yep. And the Healthy Scratch was taken. Yeah. And then what were we going to call it? Um. Well, we were going to do the, uh, was it the Holy Puck or Puck Off or something yeah. like that? Bottom line is about 10 choices we had were taken. Yeah. So, thought of sweaters forever. It sounds clever. Clever. Yeah. I can't say it. <laughs> but so we came up with the sweaters forever podcast. And I do sweat a lot, and I've sweated forever. Yeah, yeah, forever. yeah. you're a good sweater. You're a quality <laughs> sweater. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, they call them nowadays. You don't hear the term sweater as much. Right. So it's it's nice to call it that. And you know, for those stars fans listening, as the season moves along, we'll get into some other teams and talk about yeah. the central. Have some we, guests on, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Guests. We just wanted to focus on the stars in the early part of the season. Maybe when we get closer to the fan anniversary, we can have one of or both Belfour and Luds on. That that would be a blast. You know, uh, or even if it's not fan anniversary, when we get closer to the uh, the anniversary of winning the cup. Yeah. You know, I will tell you one time. Uh, I was with Craig, and I had a, a Stars sweater on, and I said, I'll drop the mitts with you. Before I even knew it, he had grabbed the back of my Stars sweater, pulled it up over my head, and, and he I was, was helpless. Ready. Yeah. And I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? As right. I was waiting for that punch to hit my face. Yeah. Too nice of a guy, but the guy does not get enough credit. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, mm-hmm. you know? National champion with the University of North Dakota. They're just and just an awesome guy. Awesome guy. Uh, a great pillar in the DFW community. So I'm so excited to spend time with them. 
Me too, man. Can't wait for Fanniversary. Also can't wait for episode two yes. of the Sweaters Forever podcast, which we will record next week. Thank you to all the Stars fans and Tolos out there for checking out episode one of the Sweaters Forever podcast. He is Gavin Spittle, the hockey hockey. Call. Follow him on Twitter at GJ Spittle. I'm Shippy from the Bin and Skin Show. The, uh, the hockey... Uh, I'll come up with a name for it next week on the episode number two. I thought the first one that came up with the first one that came up the rhyme with Hawk was not going to work on the Sweaters Forever podcast. So until next week, I'll come up with a better uh, uh, hockey nickname. Follow me on Twitter at Shippy Fun Sports. Thanks for checking out episode number one of the Sweaters Forever podcast.